Good morning, y'all. Psalm 2 says, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with a rod of iron and break them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And I just wanna testify first and foremost as we begin our story that there's nothing good that's come about in Athens or in our ministry through Lord of Glory Fellowship that's not been something that we've been asking of the Father and receiving as a gift. According to what has been promised to the Christ, that the nations belong to him by right. And we are simply asking that God would fulfill those promises and lead us into his righteousness as a gift. And so it is that we offer you all, beautiful people made in the image of God, good news. We offer hope. And the hope is this. The hope is that God will accomplish the work that he has started, right? The nations are his inheritance. This is not something that, is, that may happen in the future. This is something that we know will happen. This is something that he, who always gets the job done, is doing now. Praise God. And so there's, there's a, a real reason to have hope. The, um, the, the, the idea that we want to kind of set before you um, is found in, a, in an old black song that, uh, that we sang in, in, in churches that I grew up in. Um, it says, ride on King Jesus. Ride on King Jesus. No man, no man can ahend me, right? And it's this idea of, of Jesus on the stallion, the revelation version of Jesus, right? Who's hard charging and conquering all of the world. He's conquering sin, he's conquering death, he's conquering Satan. That's the God that we serve. That's the one who is going to bring about the work that we all want to see done. So these are wonderful promises, but they're also kind of scary because when God shows up, things get disrupted. And when Christ shows up, things get broken, right? Especially cultural idols, right? They'll be broken to pieces like a potter's vessel. And, you know, a lot of us in here, I assume many of you have uh, built cross-cultural partnerships or have desired to do so or are trying. Um, there's been much more effort in that regard in the PCA of late, which has been a great encouragement uh, to us. Um, we just want to tell you some of our story of how God brought this about among us. We know it won't be the same story for everybody. Um, so I'm going to begin with my part, and I'll start with my experience with New City Fellowship in St. Louis. Uh, by the way, I'm from Georgia. I went to school uh, at UGA. I'm actually from Lawrenceville, Georgia, even though I didn't grow up Presbyterian, and I didn't know the headquarters of the PCA were in Lawrenceville until I went to Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. Um, but... While I was in St. Louis, um, had the wonderful experience of just five years of deep fellowship with New City St. Louis. And my wife and I really 
were learning what it was to live into cross-cultural communion there. At New City, you, you pass the communion plate uh, and there's red and yellow, black and white. We, we sing songs of praises in uh, French and Spanish and Swahili, Lingala, Karen and Chen and, and Grebo and Kron, these tribal tongues from, from Africa and from East Asia. And we were, we were really shaped by that experience. Uh, while I was in seminary, uh, all of the, the high theology had to get legs in the life of the city and in cross-cultural communion there. And it was messy. You know, in a cross-cultural church, nobody is comfortable all the time because it's cross-cultural. Everybody has to give something up in order to make room for the other. It sounds a lot like what Paul describes in the Bible, doesn't it? Uh, it's messy, but it's worth it. It's rich. It's beautiful. But one of the things that I really began to see and learn during my time at New City was that for we Anglo-Americans, somehow it's actually easier for us oftentimes, right? Not as a rule, but much of the time, it's easier for us to actually bridge with internationals and with people who actually speak other languages than it is to actually live into genuine communion with our African-American brothers and sisters. And I saw us at New City, even with great heart and great and, uh, good intention, just trying and failing and stumbling along the way, stumbling into obedience, which is what we all do in this Christian life. And it's worth stumbling into, but it was remarkable to me how much, how, how it seemed easier for us to bridge with the internationals than to really build trust between black and white Americans. And so I would ask you, why might that be the case? Have you ever noticed how in your own family, uh, it's so often easier to minister to people that are outside your family than it is to deal with the home business, right? Well, I would just suggest to you that that's what's going on between Anglo and African Americans, right? Is we've got some old home business that we've got to deal with, and it's some hard business, y'all. It's some hard and some wretched history. And it's hard to look that in the face because it means we've, we've all got to hold up the mirror. And that history is not all ancient history, but we've got some new hard history as well, right? We've got the old bad business and we've got some new bad business that's going on in this country. And so just like it's hard for me to share the gospel with my blood brother uh, who doesn't go to church and you know, uh, he's fine that I do, right? Uh, it's, hard for me, it's hard for us to live into communion across this boundary because we've got to do some serious work of repentance and renewal. So as I began to, to lay plans for a cross-cultural church plant in Athens, there's a, there's a whole story behind that. I was serving another church called the University Church there, wonderful congregation um, that decided to actually send me out uh, to fulfill this vision but I knew that we didn't want to begin without having black leadership. Our town, like so many towns in this country, 
is kind of like a checkerboard. If you look at the racial dot map that the Cooper Center puts out from the University of Virginia, uh, in almost any city, you just see these pockets where you see here's the African-American community and then here's the Anglo community and here's African-American and here's Anglo and here's Hispanic. And our little city of Athens, Georgia is like that. It's like a checkerboard. And a lot of people don't even know exactly where the boundary lines are because they're unwritten rules. But my house, I live on a house that's on the white side of the line of Baxter Street, which is one of the historic boundary lines in Athens. But it's right on the line and I can see across to the neighborhood um, that is historically black and African-American and includes a housing project, but it's much wider than, the, than the, the project there that's historically black. And we've been praying into for years trying to figure out how it is that we can bridge that boundary in an authentic way. And as we were planning this church plant, um, I knew that we had to connect uh, with the African-American churches in the neighborhood. What I didn't realize is that I would end up joining one. And uh, the story goes like this. For, for many of you who are seeking cross-cultural partnership, what we do and what I had begun to do is to search within the avenues that were familiar to me, right? And so I was going to New City Network conferences in St. Louis and in Chattanooga, and I was going to LDR, uh, which are all great conferences, I recommend, but they're all PCA stuff, right? And, you know, if you're waiting for a fully reformed black Presbyterian to show up on your doorstep before you're gonna, you're gonna build fellowship with African-American brothers and sisters, you may find that you're waiting for a long time, right? So I did, in fact, wait for a long time. Oh yeah, this was years in the building. So, so there were a couple of guys that really were great candidates that wanted to partner with me and my wife and, and, and yet, they said no to Athens. They really, you know, Athens is not Atlanta, y'all. It's much more Old South, even though we have the university presence there. Um, so, you know, it's not the place where you've got this big, aspiring and powerful black middle class like Atlanta. This is Athens, Georgia. So they were like, can't we just plant in Atlanta? But I knew the call was Athens. And so I began to pray differently. And this is what I want to encourage you to consider. I really began to ask the Lord, Father, where are your people that are here, that are already here in Athens, that share this vision? Because I know this is not my idea. This was not my plan for my life. This is your idea, Father. This is your kingdom. And so who is it that's here that's already in Athens that shares this vision? And the Lord, I began to network differently all over town and connect and, and to cross and, and go into networks that I had not right there at home. And as part of that, while I was still pastoring at the university church, I had a Sunday off from preaching and my wife and I went June of 2015. For the first time to go visit Hill Chapel Baptist Church, which is like a half mile as the crow flies from my house and maybe a mile if you drive. <clears throat> this is hard for me to tell because what happened is it was the same week, if you remember June of 2015, that that young man, Dylan Roof, 
did what he did at Mother Emanuel AME in Charleston, South Carolina. He walked into the Bible study on a Wednesday night, and after sitting in fellowship with those brothers and sisters for an hour, then pulls out his weapon to gun them down. And so this is the same week that we're going for the first time to visit our local historically black congregation. And so all of a sudden, the, the visit takes on new meaning, and my wife and I are really concerned. Should we even go? What are they going to think we're here to do? Should I even wear my jacket? And we prayed on that Saturday night. I can remember just kneeling down in the dark. And saying, Lord, should we even go? Is this even right? And it was like the Spirit just cleared away all of our trepidations and fears and says, yes and amen. These are my people and you are my people. And so we went and we were welcomed even on that Sunday. And I'm sure there were some folks looking sideways at us, right? But we were welcomed and we were welcomed wonderfully. And we were blown away by the vibrancy of the worship, even on that Sunday. It turns out Hill Chapel, even though it's not known among the whites in our city, it's well known among the blacks. And it's a strong spiritual well where God has been moving for 127 years. Well, it, and we have a great gospel choir. We were just blown away. There was a somberness to, to uh, the tone of, of people's presence and yet it wasn't sober. It was vibrant, calling out to God and praise of Christ. And our pastor, who's now my pastor, had chosen to change his text to Psalm 4 based on what had happened that week. And Psalm 4 says, be angry, but do not sin. Ponder in your own beds and your hearts and be silent. Look to the Lord for justice. And the title of the message was, where do you go when you cannot hide. How often have you heard a message like that in a predominantly white congregation? Not often, but it's had to be given many times in the black church context. As Dr. Ellis says, and I'd recommend highly uh, Dr. Carl Ellis's material to you, uh, if you can get in a seminar with him, go and do it. He says, you know, if you're looking for a, a, a group of people who have experienced persecution and persecution for being Christian in this country, as Christians, more and more, all of us are being marginalized in the culture. You don't have to look far if you want to learn from persecuted Christians in this country. You just have to learn, look to the African-American church. So anyway, that week I went to go, I walked over praying as I went, to go see if I could meet with Pastor Lett. Just showed up at the church, didn't have an appointment. And we had a hallway conversation and I'm just sharing with him our vision for the church plant. And in the midst of that conversation, he looks at me and he says, and, and he's about 20 years my senior. And he just looks at me and he says, well, do you have a home church? And I said, well, I've been pastoring over here for seven years. And he goes, but do you have a home church? And in that moment, I, I started to talk about our connection with the Presbytery and another church in town through that. But I realized, I realized, as, even as I was walking away, 
that number one, the answer was no, I didn't have a home church of refuge from the church I was pastoring. And number two, that there was an invitation in that from Pastor Lett for me to find a home right there at Hill Chapel Baptist. And so it was about seven or eight months later as I was coming to the end of my term at the university church that I finally got up a meeting. I knew we were supposed to go to church there and I knew we could not launch this cross-cultural congregation out of a uh, predominantly white PCA congregation. And I knew I needed to learn from black leadership. And I had a friend of mine, a friend that I'd met years ago at the university, a lady named Joyce Hurd, who also is like a mother in the Lord to me. And she had said to me at one point, she and I were doing reconciliation forums in the city. And she was like, Parker, you may have a lot of black friends. She said, but you don't understand the black church. And I realized she was right. So anyway, I finally got up the gumption to go get a meeting with Pastor Lett and sit down with him. And we sat down and I reminded him who I was. He remembered and I said, listen, Pastor, that's why I'm here is because we're looking to a place, for a place to attend and worship while we get ready for the church plant. And he did not miss a beat. Pastor Lett stood up from his chair, big smile, and he says, welcome home. Embrace me right there. There was no theological exam. There was simply an embrace. And then we sat back down and we, could, we proceeded to, to converse over the book of Romans. I'd been preaching through Romans for two years and I was so deeply impressed with just the last few chapters of Romans. You know, the commentaries kind of peter out when you get to the last chapters of Romans. 14, 15, 16, where Paul is calling the stronger and the weaker. He shifted from the Jew-Gentile language to a broader context of the stronger and weaker. Who's got the cultural scruples, right? The more scruples you got, the weaker you are. And he says, do not for the sake of food destroy your brothers, for the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but in righteousness and peace and in joy in the Holy Spirit. And welcome one another in chapter 15 as God in Christ has welcomed you. And the beauty is, even as we were conversing, it was happening right there in the room with Pastor Latin. And the next Sunday, by the next uh, few weeks later, he was like, don't wait. Oh, by, this, uh, this is the last part I need to say before I hand on to Solomon. All right. There's, there's so much more to this story. It's so beautiful, y'all. In that conversation, at one point, I stopped him. And I just said, wait a minute, Pastor. I said, but I need you to tell me how to be in this context because uh, we're not here to rock the boat, right? We just want to learn from y'all and we want to be in fellowship. And he looks at me and he says, listen, because I say so, the sky's the limit. He said, we're treating you as an adoptive son of this church. You'll be like an associate minister in the body. He said, we're not about Hill Chapel. We're about the kingdom of God. He said, we want to help you birth this thing. We haven't carried you, but we will carry you. And I want you to know that that has proven true. We joined Hill Chapel as associate members. He brought us up that first Sunday on the front of the whole congregation and says, this is who they are. My whole family's up there. <laughs> and he says, he says, this is what they're doing. And do you see what this means for us? We get to be like spiritual midwives helping to birth what God is doing through them. And I want you to know that Hill Chapel has become our mother church. 
My wife's in the choir. My kids are in the children's choir. We worship with them every Sunday. I've had numerous opportunities to preach. I help uh, from month to month in some aspect of the service, whether it's leading in prayer or the call to worship. And they've opened their doors so that we meet in the evenings for our worship service with Lord of Glory Fellowship at no charge because we are one people and one congregation. And so they actually are our biggest financial supporter as a church as well. So God is moving in wonderful ways. And as part of that, God led, that was part of what the witness that led me and Solomon together. Solomon was not a member, not involved at Hill Chapel. But that was part of where he saw that we were genuinely uh, committed to cross-cultural unity. Thank you. So um, my part of this story um, is basically this. I was raised in uh, the black church in a non-denominational setting. Um, Had mentors um, to the left of me, to the right of me. Um, God was able to show me the the beauty of both uh, his, his beautiful triune God, right, and also blackness, right? So this is something that has been ingrained in me since, uh, since birth. Um, following and chasing after God, I left from that context uh, and went to Athens, Georgia. God called me to Athens, Georgia uh, to do campus ministry. So I started doing campus ministry in an all-white context or mostly white context, uh, and that was difficult, right? Had some issues there. But, but when you have a calling from the Lord, you do what the Lord tells you to do. You don't, you don't really think too much about it. And so that's what I was doing. I was, I was working in that context and, and trying to share the gospel with, um, with college students. And at the same time, going through seminary, actually in a seminary here in, in Nashville. And y'all, I loved, I loved that experience. I loved the experience of, of, of just nerding out on theology and reading all of these old dusty books and things of that nature, it was so good. And at the same time, it left me with this deep longing, this, this pain, if you will, where I'd just be reading Acts and I'd be reading some old commentary about Acts and just, just being really excited about the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. And then I'd leave from that place, leave the, the, the you know, posh halls of places here in, Brent, in Brentwood and go back to my neighborhood and it's just, just thinking like, all right, if the gospel is really good news, it's got to make sense there. It's also got to make sense here, right? It's got to make sense in all of these different places to all of these different types of people. And I wasn't seeing that in the church context that I was in. And so God led me um, to an opportunity uh, to volunteer at a parachurch organization uh, that was feeding meals to, to people who were on the streets. Um, shortly thereafter, I got the opportunity to do like a little side job with them and then later got a chance to actually run the nonprofit um, that ran that organization. So I led that organization in Athens, Georgia for a number of years, working with lots of different churches, hundreds of churches or so, um, and, and feeding people. And I got to see like Beautiful orthodoxy, as you, if, if you will. I got to see like theology in action. And yet, I was still, there was something missing. It, it was a pain, a pain in there, but kind of from the other side, right? Where I got to see godly people doing godly things. And yet, the word of God wasn't being preached. One day while I was in my office and we were doing like a big food distribution, one of the people was getting 
um, a huge amount of food from, from the food distribution going back to her public housing. Um, and it just broke my heart to think, who's going to tell her the gospel? Who's going to actually tell her the good news of, of what Jesus did and who Jesus is and what that means for her? Um, and that was a part of the call that led me back into ministry, into full, full-time ministry, and actually to the work um, that Parker was doing with Lord of Glory. We, we quickly saw what was going on at Lord of Glory, um, and we're, my wife and I were looking for people to run with, people who, um, again, had that strong understanding of biblical truths, but also needed to, to actively see it, right? In, in, in interactions with other people. Um, we saw that um, and we, we ran headlong into the craziness that it is to be a church planter, um, launching a multicultural church in the South. Lord have mercy. Y'all pray for us. Amen. Thanks be to God. Uh, I, I'll just say this in parting that, uh, you know, that song, Ride on King Jesus, like the next beat of the lyrics is, no man can hinder me, right? Well, I just want you to know, right, if you don't really know that this is the promise of kingdom of God, that this is Christ's commitment, that this is indeed the, the kingdom that Christ has purchased with his blood, the dividing wall of hostility coming down, that, that the mystery of Christ is that the Gentiles are included as one man in the covenant. And that indeed, as Ephesians 3 says, that this is the plan of the mystery that was hidden for ages that is now revealed in Jesus Christ so that through the church, nowhere else, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. If you don't know that this cross-cultural communion is the way that God is showing up the work of the devil and the lies that have kept us at each other's throats for millennia, right? And if you're not finding your glory in the Father and his promises, then men will hinder you, right? Men and women. And you'll begin to look on the lateral plane as you count the cost and you'll say, man, I don't know if this is worth it. Because let me tell you, it hasn't always been rosy and there's been plenty of hardships that we've been through, but God will keep you in the midst of it. If your glory is in the Father, then you will persist and you will see greater glories that God wants to build in and through our communion with one another. Amen.